say it's good to have visitors who drag up my past this morning. It is great to see some some dear folks from from years ago. Let me uh, invite you in our current series in Genesis 37 through 50, Joseph, to turn to Genesis chapter 40 this morning. Our text is Genesis chapter 40, uh, Preparations for Greatness. First book of the Bible, kind of near the end of it, chapter 40 of the book of Genesis. Let's read, and in a a couple of minutes we'll stand for prayer for those who are physically able. Genesis chapter 40, verse 1. Let's see what the Lord has for us today. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. All right, so get your bearings. You see what's going on so far in verses 1 through 2. I'm counting on you to pay close attention to our reading as we do it now. Verse 3, And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Verse 5. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him in verse 12, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head And restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, 
And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation for the, for the cupbearer was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. Uh, Let's continue reading as we stand for all those who can. Notice the last four verses of Genesis 40. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But, verse 22, he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. And we are your people. And we pray for the help of your spirit. May we tremble with great joy before your word. Would you help us now open it to us that we may be hearers and doers. May, yes, here in in what we call the Old Testament, may Jesus Christ be seen and savored. And we pray in his name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, among other things that characterized uh, Joseph, among other things that no doubt characterized him, two things that we can say about Joseph are that he was characterized by faithfulness and by obedience. Joseph was characterized, not, not a perfect man. Joseph is not our Savior today, although he does point to our Savior But Joseph, as a man who truly knew God, was characterized by faithfulness and by obedience. Again, as I like to bring before us church history, again, church history tells us the story of one uh, English pastor, Richard Cecil. When the English preacher Richard Cecil was a little boy, his father went on business to the India house and took him along. While he was transacting his business, his son was dismissed and directed to wait for him at the India house door. Son, I've got some important business. You go wait by the door. His father, on finishing his business, went out at another door and entirely forgot that he had ordered his son to wait for him. In the evening, we are told, his mother, 
missing the child, inquired where he was. His father, recollecting his directions, said this, You may depend on it. He is still waiting where I appointed him. He immediately returned to the India house and found him on the spot where he had been ordered to wait. Now, that's a cool story if you followed it. Richard Cecil, little boy, son, go wait at the door. I'm doing important business. His father forgets, goes home, and the whole time Richard Cecil is standing post, as it were, standing guard at the door. Well, as we've already seen in this passage today, we want to think about that whole issue of forgetfulness, of the incredible memories that God has given us, that science tells us the capacities of our brains to remember, to store data like some supercomputer, and at the same time, our failure to remember. We see Joseph as a man who is characterized by faithfulness and by obedience. But we also see Joseph as an imperfect man. What's the theme? What's the big idea? Not not for today, but for the whole thing. So we're looking at Joseph, which is Genesis 37 through 50. And what is the big idea? Well, it's, as we've already said, it's Genesis 50 verse 20. Genesis 50, verse 20, where he says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That's our big idea for these weeks and even months. I think it's on the screen. Maybe you flip there. Look at it again. You meant it for evil, Genesis 50, 20. God meant it for good. Now, I just want to show you something briefly here at the very beginning. It's in Acts chapter 4. You don't have to turn there, but I want you just to keep in mind what we just looked at is the big theme. And I want you to see this. I want you to notice this. In Acts chapter 4. It says there in the middle of verse 24 of Acts chapter 4, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth, and then you skip down a little bit to verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It doesn't use the exact same words, but does it not say, basically, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Same thing in Acts chapter 2. Same thing in Acts chapter 2. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. I submit to you, it's the same thing. 
Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 2. Jesus, the gospel, specifically what? Specifically the cross of Christ. There are two things going on at the cross of Christ. God means it for good. God means it for good for the salvation of many people, for for the world. And you meant it for evil. We meant it for evil in our sin and our rebellion. That's the, uh, the one who is greater than Joseph. But let's look at the one who points forward to the greater Joseph here in chapter 40. Let me give you the title for today. It's uh, Pit, Pitiful Preparation for Promotion. Isn't that great? I spent like four hours on that. Thank you for setting me apart for the ministry of the word so that I can work on titles. Pit, Aaron, get this for the website, okay? Pitiful, not pitiful, pitiful preparation for promotion. So we want to see that Joseph was in prison, Joseph was privy to the interpretation of dreams, and Joseph's life was on pause. No, we're not going to do that. Uh, I won't be MacArthur, I won't do alliteration today. But instead, we will look at the first thing today. Number one, uh, if you're taking notes on paper or in your head, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. This is verse 23. So heading number one, point number one, verse 23, at the end of chapter 40, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. The theme, the theme, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that we are going to see is this. God-ordained carelessness. God-ordained human sinful forgetfulness. And that's point number one. Human sinful forgetfulness. Would you notice this? And would you test what I say? And would you test my points according to the Word of God and see if they match up? Verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Human, sinful uh, forgetfulness. So uh, Harvard, uh, Harvard tells us about this whole issue of forgetfulness. That uh, this, it's, it's what we all know. I think this is on the specific aspect of forgetfulness that's called transience. This is the tendency to forget facts or events over time. The tendency to forget facts or events over time. You are most likely to forget information soon after you learn it. Keep that in mind. However, memory has a use-it-or-lose-it quality. Memories that are caught up and used frequently are least likely to be forgotten. Memories that are caught up and used frequently are least likely to to be forgotten, and you're most likely to forget to forget information as soon as you lose it. So tell me something after church today, and I'll try to write it down, and shoot me an email, and I very well perhaps have let some of you down in this regard. As we think about forgetfulness, look at verse 23 again. Who is spoken of here? Well, it's, it's, it tells us very plainly, it's the chief cupbearer. And what did he do? Well, he, he did a what we might call a sin of 
of omission. It's not something that he did. He didn't do anything uh, evil or he didn't do anything. He, we, we should not call the chief cupbearer the chief of sinners because of this act of omission. I'm going to explain to you why, why I think it's still sinful and serious, but we're dealing with the chief cupbearer and it's something that he did not do. Actually, he didn't do three things uh, that Joseph asked him to do. He didn't show him favor. He didn't remember him and plead his case. All those three things we see there in verse 14, which we'll notice in just a moment. He didn't get him out of the house. Well, basically, in chapter 40, you have uh, two men with two dreams. Uh, By the way, we need to keep in mind that in chapter 41, which is coming up, you're also going to have Pharaoh. Who is Pharaoh, boys and girls? Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. He's referred to as such multiple times here in chapter 40. Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. And in chapter 1, or I'm sorry, chapter 41, Pharaoh has a set of two dreams. That would be the third time in the book of Genesis that there is a set of two dreams. Now follow me with this. So chapter 1, Pharaoh has two dreams that give one message. In chapter 40, there's two dreams that ultimately give one message. And the same thing, by the way, in chapter 37. Uh, Dreams. Do you dream a lot? Do you dream? Uh, Don't read too much in this question as far as what I believe about this question. Do you believe that God speaks to people or reveals himself in dreams? That's what's going on in chapter 40 is that there's two men, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. By the way, these two men were not ordinary servants of the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. They would have had a good personal access to Pharaoh, pretty close access, and they wind up with Joseph. We'll see that in a minute. And they have these two dreams, each with its own interpretation. Look at verse 14. What does Joseph say in verse 14? He's, he's at this point, he has interpreted the dream of the cupbearer. And now he pleads with him. Only remember me, mark that, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. Remember me. Do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so help me get out of this house. I wonder if you think it's, uh, it's bad what Joseph did in verse 15. Maybe somehow inappropriate for a true follower of God. What does he do in verse 15? For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. You know, maybe if we really trust in God, If we really trust in God, then we would not take human means. We would not take matters into our own hands. No, don't be so spiritual. Don't don't be so spiritual. Some may say that in verse 15 and in verse 14 that Joseph was showing, uh, you know, sin because he didn't trust in God. I don't think so. We We can be too spiritual for our own good. The Bible never teaches to suffer merely for suffering's sake. The Bible never teaches just to uh, just go headlong into persecution just because, you know, that, that's what I want to do for Jesus. I'm going to go headlong into persecution. No, if possible, if you're a slave, if possible, get your freedom. 
Corinthians. If possible, don't be overly spiritual. Look again at verse 15. I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. He's, he's doing what? He's pleading his case, right? And here also I have done nothing. Chapter 39, Joseph, lie with me. Lie with me. No, I'm not going to do it. And I'll just draw your attention again to verse 14. Only remember me. And I want you to kind of draw a mental line to chapter to verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. Point number one, human sinful forgetfulness. Human sinful forgetfulness. Now, I do maintain that this is sinful forgetfulness. And maybe you would disagree. I mean, again, don't we all forget things? And there's so many things, so many things in life, so many balls to juggle. So easy to forget. So, sometimes it's easy to forget important things. And so we don't want to uh, crucify this man in verse 23, the chief cupbearer. We don't say that it's the worst of all possible evils. I mean, in some sense, it's just human nature, right? Verse 23 represents just human nature to forget. It's just careless. It's just forgetful. But still, I say it's human sinful forgetfulness, particularly when you think of what's going on. When you think of the lack of gratitude, just, just because something is human nature, just because we have a normal tendency towards certain unhelpful things does not mean that those things are not sin. Listen, let me say it again. Just because we have a normal tendency to certain unhelpful things does not mean that those things are not sin. It could be, it could be something we talked about many months ago, the whole issue of modesty. I'm not, I'm not thinking, I'm not trying to be immodest. Just because we have a normal tendency towards certain things that are unhelpful does not mean that God doesn't consider those things as sin. This man, the Bible says, the heart of sin, in one sense, the heart of our sin against God is what? Is a lack of gratitude. Romans chapter 1, one of the root center uh, expressions of our rebellion against God is ingratitude. And for what Joseph had done for this man, although Joseph was not the one who eventually restored him, it was the king of Egypt, but for what Joseph, for the part that he played, I do say it was a lack of gratitude. I do say it was human sinful forgetfulness because what did he do? Pharaoh restored him and he just, he just forgot. He was he was in misery. And then he was in his former glory. And he did the same thing that all of us do. Sometimes our sins can hurt people, but I didn't mean to. And that's the case with this as well. With human sinful forgetfulness. But point number two this morning. Point number two, I want to look at the beginning of chapter 40 and the end of chapter 39. Point number one, let's just move right along, was verse 23. Point number two is the beginning of chapter 40 and the end of 39. And, and this is Joseph. Remember, Joseph was in prison. If Joseph is a type of Christ, and I think he is, then we see Joseph in his suffering going lower and lower here. Um, all of this is preparation for greatness. 
if you have thoughts in your mind that you're, first of all, if you're a true Christian, and then you have thoughts in your mind that maybe God would use you even in a great way one day, number one, remember that there's a new heavens and a new earth coming. And that may not be in this life. But number two, remember that those that God truly uses to serve others, those that God uses to serve others in a, in a great way, in, a, in, a, in the true definition of greatness, which is, which is really serving others. Listen to me. Do any, of you, do any of you have holy ambition? Do any of you have holy ambition this morning? If you don't, believer, then, then let me ask you, why not? Do you have holy ambition? That's not a bad thing. If you have holy ambition to serve your Lord, do you? Then also know that way more often than not, he takes his people down, down, down to prepare them for that service. Look at verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their Lord, the, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Now stop right there. These four verses set the stage for Genesis chapter 40, but they also go hand in hand with the end of 39. Did you notice that with me? And perhaps you remember from last week. If you don't, that's fine. What was the key thing in all of verse, uh, chapter 39? Chapter 39 is famous because Potiphar's wife kept seducing Joseph over and over again. You remember? Lie with me. Lie with me. Lie with me. And Joseph says, how can I do this and sin this great wickedness against God? That's not even the main thing. The main thing in chapter 39 was, was Emmanuel. God with us. Because you, you may remember in chapter 39, it said no less than four times, no less than four times, Joseph was successful. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Look at verse 21 of chapter 39. Genesis 39, 21. And this is every bit as true in chapter 40 as it is here. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Look back at verse 20. Look up at verse 20 of chapter 39. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. I don't know if you noticed when we read earlier, but Joseph, when he pleads his case, he used the word prison and he used the word pit. I know you're looking for it again. I'll give it to you. The pit is full preparation for promotion. Chapter 41, I'm just saying again, chapter 41 is going to be promotion. 
Chapter 41 is a dramatic turn, but the dramatic turn, listen to me, actually begins here in chapter 40. Preparation for greatness begins in the day of small things. Preparation for greatness, true greatness, begins in the day of small things. Look at verse 5 of chapter 40. I hope it's not too jarring. I wanted to show you that the end of chapter 39 actually goes with this beginning here. Joseph in prison. Chapter 40, verse 5. And one night they both dreamed the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison. Each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. Please notice this. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. There's several things we need to notice here quickly. In verse 8, we notice we have had dreams and there was no one to interpret them. Being so close to Pharaoh, they were used to having the professional magicians and dream interpreters. They were used to having this at their fingertips, maybe you might say. That's, I think, part of the reason they're so downcast. We don't have the professional dream interpreters. And what does Joseph say? This is important. What does he say in verse 8? Do not interpretations belong to God. So in 40 verse 8, we see Joseph being God-centered. And in 39 verse 9, in 39 9, he says, How then, to Mrs. Potiphar, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What is the answer for you this morning if you're here and you're not a Christian? The answer for you is to know God through Jesus Christ. What is the answer for you here this morning if you are a Christian and you desire to grow or if you have holy ambition? If you desire to be what the Bible calls sanctified, the answer is the same. The answer is to know God. The answer is to be like Joseph and to be God-centered. Again, 39.9 and 40 verse 8. It's all about God. This story is not about Joseph first and foremost. Genesis 37 through 50 is the narrative of Joseph. It is primarily the story of the providence of God, of God who is over all. And I said we wanted to notice several things in this passage. Notice the humanity of Joseph. It has been pointed out. Joseph had not been doing well. Joseph, things had not been going well for Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his own family. Things were going well at Potiphar's house until Potiphar's wife seduced him, and then things started going terribly. And then things started going well at the end of chapter 39. The end of chapter 39 is a mirror of the first part of chapter 39, and he starts having success in jail, in the prison, just like he did in Potiphar's house. So he's in prison, but he's the man in prison. And then the same thing happens again, do you see? This is on this wild roller coaster ride. For those of us who have spent time in Gastonia, my dear friends here, unfortunately they got rid of Thunder Road, but it was an awesome ride. You go up and you go down, and you go up and you go down. And Joseph's doing this. He's sold into slavery. He's the man at Potiphar's house. He's sold into prison. He's the man in the prison. And then things go south again. Remember, things are going really high in chapter 41. I know I keep saying that, but things are going to go really high 
in the rest of the story. But now, do you see? You see, put yourself in his shoes. He doesn't know where things are going. He doesn't. You don't know where things are going. But if you know God, you know the God who holds the future. You don't know the future. I don't know the future. Shame on us for claiming sometimes that we may have control of the future. You and I do not have control of the future. God does. And Joseph knew God. Put yourself in his shoes. Again, I say, think about his experience here in this story. Think about his actual experience. He is in another low place. Why does this keep happening to me? Why does God, if you know God, like Joseph knew God, then you say like Joseph, you might say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why is your hand heavy upon me? Why is there hymn number 63 by John Newton? Man, that's depressing. We might say, we might say, I was looking for some help, God. I was looking for some help, and you made things worse. It's been pointed out that if you and I, listen to me, are in that situation, we turn in on ourselves. If you and I are in a situation where we feel like, you know what, just forget it. I've prayed about this so many times. Lord, I've sought you, and just forget it. We turn in on ourselves. Joseph was not perfect, but did you see what he did in verse 6? Things had not been going well for Joseph, and he, he looks to these two guys of whom he's been given charge. They are Egyptians. They had a pretty high place, just like Potiphar did, and he says to them, why are, you, why are your faces downcast? Do you see? Greatness, God-defined greatness that he may have for you starts in the day of small things, like verse 6. He saw that they were troubled. And the only thing that we can see when we're in the midst of problems is my problem, my problems. I don't want to hear about your problems. He saw, it's so simple. He saw that they were troubled because he knew God. And to know God is life. And to know God is to be, listen, a conduit of blessing to others. Because Joseph, the story of Joseph in Genesis doesn't just come, we don't just look at Genesis 37 through 50. It has everything to do with Abraham. And God's promise to Abraham, I will make you a blessing to the nations. So God blesses his people, and we get the extreme benefit of knowing God, the joy of knowing God, and it overflows to others. It overflows to others. So I'm simply pointing out that in verse 7, he asked his officers, why are your faces downcast today? Can I help you? Can I help you? Oh, may the Lord help us as a church. As a church, we are all going through troubles, and some even right here and right now are going through some maybe dark times. As James Boyce has said, let this passage teach you not to trust in man. Isaiah chapter 2, stop trusting in man. But look to the steadfast love and kindness of God. Wait for God. Wait for God. 
Number one is human sinful forgetfulness. Verse 23. Number two, Joseph was in prison. Remember that. Chapter 40 and the end of chapter 39. But actually the main thing is the Lord was with Joseph. Emmanuel, God with us. God is with his people today through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Spirit whom he has sent, through the Word. Number three, let me bring all of this together if I could. Number three, human sinful forgetfulness ordained by God. Human sinful forgetfulness ordained by God. Look at verse 23 again. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Look at verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, pressed them into his cup, and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Joseph said, here it is. I'll tell you. Oh, yeah, don't forget. This isn't coming from me. This is from God. Three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. And the whole time, the chief baker is over there, and he's listening. He's like, yeah, all right. I'm going to go to this guy too. And the chief baker goes to Joseph and he says, hey, tell me the interpretation of my dream. He says, if you remember the text, Joseph says to the chief baker, same thing, same interpretation for you, man. Your head is also going to be lifted up and taken off your body. And he says, your head in verse 19 will be lifted up from you. It does not necessarily mean decapitation, boys and girls. Verse 19 doesn't necessarily mean that Pharaoh was going to and take off the baker's head. Literally, what we do know for sure is that he was hanged on a tree. And of course, this man was a sinner who deserved to be hanged on a tree. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, verse 19. But our main focus is the chief cupbearer whose dream was interpreted. Both dreams were interpreted to the T by Joseph. The cupbearer's dream was positive. It was life and not death. And Joseph had a lot to do with that. And as we've already said before, the chief cupbearer gets out of prison three days later, goes to Pharaoh's birthday party, and this idiom, this figure of speech, Pharaoh lifts the heads, because probably what that means is when you're in the presence of the king of Egypt, boys and girls, everybody bows their head. And so Pharaoh lifts up their head, and for one man, he lifts up his head and says, you don't have to keep bowing, you can lift up your head. He lifts up the chief cupbearer's head, and he says, come back and serve me. And he says, you can lift up your head. And he lift up, lifts up the baker's head and he says, you're dead. And you're going to be hanged on a tree. And the point of Genesis 37 through 50, which we'll keep saying, is that God is in control of all things. Listen to me. God is overall. God will give his faithful people opportunities to serve him and others, and he will do this by training them in the school of obscurity and hard knocks and suffering. Our focus should not be on 
I would like to get a greater opportunity to serve the Lord. Of course, we're all sinful. You know, our focus shouldn't be on, can I have a greater sphere of influence? No, our focus is on the Lord himself. I just, I just want, listen to me, brothers and sisters. I just want a little bit of a greater sphere of influence. God, help us in this church. Help us. No, that's not our main focus. Our focus is the Lord himself. God is over all. God will give his faithful people opportunities to serve him and others. And he puts us through the school of hard knocks. Aren't you glad that we have a God who is not like this? Let me have your attention before I conclude. It very plainly says in verse 23, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. And to add clarity, I suppose, but forgot him. Aren't you glad that we have a God who is not like this if you are a believer here this morning? And if not, you need to repent of your sins for the first time and look to Christ crucified and risen from the dead. For one thing, consider the God-man, the Son of God. You remember the thief on the cross? You remember the thief, the believing thief? What did he say? What did he say in the Gospel of Luke? He said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, what? Remember me. It cannot, no, never, be said of our Lord what is said here. It could never be said of the Lord Jesus what is said of the cupbearer in verse 23. What do I mean? It could never be said of the Lord Jesus, he did not remember the thief on the cross, but forgot him. You see, it can never be said, ever. Because the Bible plainly says to you here today, look at me and listen. There's no one in the history of the world that's ever come to Jesus that he's turned away. Never. It's never happened before. So what about you? It's never, it could never, no, 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 not ever, ever, ever be said of the Lord Jesus what is said of the chief gutbearer here. But there's even more than that. We have a God, friends, who both does not forget things like this. He is unlike us. That's what makes him God and makes us not God. He is not prone to forgetfulness like we are. We are sinners. And it may be innocent. It may be innocent. But your innocent sin may hurt somebody like it did here. This was real sin. God holds you accountable. God is not like this. God doesn't need Harvard to tell him about his memory, if I could say it in that way. And we also know from Psalm 103 that God forgets. He does not count our sins against us. He remembers our sins no longer, not because that's God's job and it's just God's job to be a a heavenly father who forgives people and that's just what he does. No, that's not just what he does. He does Acts chapter 2 and he does Acts chapter 4. He takes Joseph and he elevates it to the nth degree and he puts his own son on the cross and he says, this is my doing. This is my doing and this is your doing and it's both and I am over all and I am over the sinful, wicked actions of men for your good for your good, and for my glory. Let us pray together. Would you bow with me?
Lord, thank you for the heart of the gospel. Our understanding is definitely finite, but we thank you that the Bible tells us that you, God, made him to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that you made him, even him who knew no sin. We thank you that you have put him forward as a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for those of the world. And so we pray that we may believe and that we would find that in believing we have life. Help us not to live as though we are God. Help us to live faithfully today, trusting only in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.